Good morning, everybody. This is Tony Caldwell, and welcome to another edition of Uncaptive Agent, where we're looking at the future of the insurance distribution business in the United States. Uh, as uh, Alicia and I, or Alicia Calhoun, my guest today, are talking with you or talking to each other, we are both just really grateful to be in air conditioning. It is the summer of 2022, and record temperatures all over the world, but especially in Oklahoma and Texas where Alicia is. So Alicia, I'm so glad that you're where you're nice and air conditioned and I am too. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate uh, you having me on. But, uh, give us just a thumbnail sketch, if you would, about your professional background. Obviously you're with XPT uh, Specialties now and you're in charge of oil and gas distribution efforts and activities there. But uh, and you've been in that for a while, but uh, tell us just a little bit about your insurance career. Sure, happy to. So my insurance career started uh, way back in 1999 on the retail side uh, in the Northeast is, is where my insurance career started and blossomed into, um, I started as you know the very bottom account manager. So really got to learn the ins and outs and uh, in you know what it takes from binding insurance to doing a certificate of insurance. Fast forward 10 years when I joined the wholesale side. Now, having had experience in both retail and wholesale, uh, I quickly developed a love for energy, oil and gas being in Houston, having moved to Houston. So, um, like I said, 50-50 retail, wholesale, um, and now my focus is casualty insurance and, and energy and, and environmental casualty. Okay, great. So. Um... The insurance business, uh, as it relates to oil and gas today, I expect is pretty exciting. Uh, the you know the, the war in Ukraine and all the issues with uh, with Russia have um, dramatically increased uh, oil prices, certainly, and and I guess gas prices follow along with that. And there's lots of talk of energy shortages in Europe and other parts of the world, and um, you know, here at home, we've got uh, an administration that's done a lot of things to discourage domestic uh, drilling activities. And so a lot of turmoil and flux in that business, I would think. There is certainly, certainly there is. Um, but with that, you know, being on the on the ENS side, it also creates opportunities. So with obviously rising cost, um, everything kind of goes along with that. Obviously, insurance is based on uh, exposures, revenues, payrolls, et cetera. So with that insurance prices increase, um, so it's it's running the gamut. Um, I think that with the shortages, you know, the manufacturers, the distributors, those guys are hurting because they can't keep up um, on the service oil and gas side of things. Um, I think we're seeing shortages there too. Um, there's plenty of work, but there's just not enough help. Um, and so, and then we bring in the shortages that we've had in excess capacity. So every line has been affected. And I think it's not even just so much what's going on in, in Ukraine with our administration. I think it's a little bit of everything, COVID, um, just so much going on, exciting times and scary times at the same, I would say. So you mentioned shortages just a minute ago and not keeping up, and I'm sure you're referring to labor shortages in the oil patch. Uh, and of course, there's labor shortage um, all over the country in every industry. I think when COVID hit, and as we came out of COVID in 2021 especially, a lot of people felt like, hey, the reason that we have labor shortages, employment shortages, 
is uh, because people haven't come back to work yet. What I think we overlooked was that 2020 and 2021 were the beginning of the peak years of baby boomer retirement. So the baby boomers, largest generation in American history, being followed by uh, two generations that are the smallest generations in American history, means that you've got a massive gap in employment. And uh, despite rhetoric to the contrary, we've had a net out migration, uh, people, more people going to Mexico than coming in from Mexico, which has been a big labor pool for us for a generation, 12 the last 13 years. So that certainly impacts the oil patch. So this is a, this is a long-term problem that's gonna take a generation to solve. Um, curious how your clients are looking at that and what they're doing either from a technology perspective or other ways to find efficiencies to continue, <clears throat> excuse me, to continue to operate. Sure. So I think COVID uh, was a, a big eye opener uh, for many uh, small agencies, uh, middle agencies to to your to your big guys and that was a lot of us were not prepared we didn't have the technology i think in in some cases technology in, in our industry was viewed as well we want you in the office you got to be in the office if you're not in the office you're not performing and i think very quickly you know we've identified that maybe not everybody you don't have to brush everybody with that same brush um there are ways that you can uh, be efficient with not necessarily being in the office so i think a lot of things happened with covid um like you mentioned the the baby boomers uh, a lot of people that maybe weren't quite there at retirement got pushed towards or, or it made it were incentivized to retire early so we had that um We've had the the shortages, like you mentioned, with with, with people uh, retiring and whatnot. Um, but our entire industry has been affected with the shortages. Um, we had the large barges that contained a lot of inventory um, offshore and that went down that created a chip shortage in the auto industry. And a lot of chips go into vacuum trucks, uh, oil and gas type of uh, vehicles that require that kind of technology. So technology all across the board, I think, has really been uh, questioned as to were we underutilizing and now what can we do like Zoom, for example. Zoom, I, I had heard of it, but I really didn't care for it. Now it's that is like, you know, I think you mentioned before, that's the if it's if that's the T model of of today, you know, what's the Tesla going to look like down the road? And that's a really good question. It just makes, you know, you just keep thinking about what is, what is next? You know, once upon a time, you know, I'm old enough to have watched the Jetsons when I was younger and we watched them zooming around in, in little cars and getting their food out of a vending machine. And that was back then. Today, that is where the Jetsons. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I don't know where it's all going to go, but I did have an experience, uh, you know, since you mentioned Zoom, about four or five years ago now with uh, augmented reality, where um, I was sitting across a desk as I am today. I'm sitting in, in my office, you're in yours. We we have a uh, probably literal desks between us, but, but we can't see them. And it's a two-dimensional conversation that we're having. And we were having a, I was having a conversation with somebody who was a thousand miles away, but he was a hologram. 
um, and but it was three dimensional. And and now that is getting to be easier and easier. I was wearing a backpack and a massive headset and all this kind of stuff. Today, it's getting the form factor is getting smaller. I think in the next five years, it'll just be eyeglasses. And um, you know, we'll we'll be having these kind of conversations, but they will be. Uh, they'll be more real, I guess, because right now I see the monitor and I see the microphone. I see all that stuff's intruding into the conversation because it's there. But when you go into a virtual reality, your mind actually within about 30 seconds, you're really in a different place. Right. And so that piece that we're missing, and I think we're all craving that to some degree, especially a people business like insurance, we're missing the personal, you know, in-person contact. Mm-hmm. I do- is going to get better and help maybe not as good as the real thing but with haptics and maybe that's going to be the way we interact uh and if we save um time you were an insurance producer i think for a while you certainly have a an income production role probably dealing with uh, agents and things the the probably the biggest time suck in your life i know it is in mine is the travel time mm-hmm. so if 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 everyone in our business got back 20% of their day uh, from from lack of having to travel, but you could accomplish 100% of what you did, I wonder if that's not enough all by itself to replace all the people we're missing. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I can speak for myself and that not having to commute to the office, you know, 45 minutes each way, an hour, depending on traffic, the time that, you know, just walking up to my computer, I... I can get so much done, but it doesn't replace the human interaction. I mean, I I believe that in order to be successful, and from my viewpoint as a wholesaler, because one, I've been on the retail side and I get to see what works from the smaller agent to the middle middle size agency up into your big three-letter word agents, um, I see what works and I see what doesn't. the collaboration you have to have collaboration and communication and transparency and you can't really you can have some of that you know kind of like what what we're having right now but that human interaction because in in the insurance industry we it's a relationship industry right we we do business with those that we trust and you can hear a lot uh, over the phone or or via telecommunication but it's still not the same as somebody, you know, is sitting before me, shaking their hand, breaking bread. And it's just, it's a totally different thing. So I hope that doesn't ever go away, but I do see the agents that have really relied on, on the telecommunity. It's great for marketing and getting your name out there, but it's not going to be what ultimately drives a relationship. It's the way I guess I would put it is that, it's probably a lot easier for somebody to tell me no or to move something from me next year if if we don't have that kind of a relationship. Um, It's easy just to not pick up the phone or not answer my call versus, you know, if we have a meeting, we're we're talking about it. And I think it would be a scary thing if we ever lost that completely. But I do believe that technology, uh, like I said, from a marketing standpoint, getting a message out, uh, being transparent and and getting a message out to the masses, technology is huge. Things that we we like you said, you know, we if I could make five marketing calls on a Zoom call, you know, as an introduction versus getting in my car and driving an entire day and having missed emails and phone calls and 
it's huge. So there's got to be a balance, Tony. I, I, I do believe that. And I think it's just finding what that balance is. Well, so in the um, in the surplus lines business, I think technology, it's interesting because my perception is that, that that part of our industry has really lagged behind the standard uh, market part of our business. So insurance companies over the last decade or so have been making it easier and easier and easier for larger and larger accounts to be written either uh, with little human involvement or faster because of technology or whatever. Uh, as we are talking today, uh, multi-company rating systems for BOPs and things like that are taking over the low end of the business. They'll be working their way up the channel before too long. Uh, really, it's middle market and above where you have more what I would call the traditional send in a cord form, have a conversation with an underwriter, go through the back and forth. You know, the, at the smaller end of the business, it's almost completely automated now. At, at the same time, though, on the on the wholesale side, it's really almost like it was 25 years ago um, from my perception. So two questions. One is, how is my perception incorrect uh, about that? Number one. Number two, over the next five years or so, what do you see changing that speeds all of our work up uh, between retail agents and wholesale brokers uh, to gain the efficiencies that, that we need to have to overwhelm the uh, lack of people? Sure. So there are insurance companies are listening. They do get it. There are some that have their own platforms where they do give the underwriter or the broker, uh, or like myself, the authority to go in and, and to rate. And they're always looking for ways to do it better. Um, and I think it is that middle market and below. Now there are, I have seen over the past eight or nine years, because those platforms have been out there, they're evolving more to giving, you know, more, more commission to the wholesaler if they're going to do the work. Um, and then just have, I'll give you an example. Uh, there, there's a market that I represent that has the capacity, they have the capabilities to do very tough construction. Um, and then they, they can also handle uh, ancillary type of construction service contractors, handyman. So I can go in and as long as the threshold, you know, below an X amount of, of revenue, I can rate it without an underwriter looking at it. I just keep everything in file for audit purposes. If it goes over a certain a certain threshold, then it just goes directly over to an underwriter and they review it. It's very quick. They I've already done all of the legwork for them. I've I've submitted everything. I've downloaded everything, and I just need somebody to say yay or nay. It's you know kind of. I think that's the direction that some of the bigger companies are trying to go to. It's just creating that platform and working out the tweaks. Um, in my career, there have been insurance companies that have said, you know, we're working on being the next ABC company that has the latest and greatest platform, but then it just doesn't come to fruition. So, but it depends. Specialties, I think will be, it'll be a lot harder to automate specialty type like oil and gas, because there, there are too many questions that you just, you, you couldn't populate enough questions in a platform, um, that versus talking to an underwriter and working through something. However, I think that there there is an area what I would call soft ENS, where it's just it's too high risk for standard markets, but it's it's really not at high high risk for the ENS. So I think that's the the platform that that it would work for to to do the automated um, 
because speed and as an ENS broker, and I think where a lot of people failed uh, during our COVID was the technology and not being able to be up to speed. I was in a position where I was already uh, working from home and automated and paperless and, and able to work my systems without any interruption. And so that put me in an advantage because I never, my, my workload was never interrupted. Speed is king sometimes. And in the ENS world, a lot of times it may get worked in the, an account may be, be worked in the standard market. And then last minute, it's just not a fit. And all of a sudden hair on fire, call your wholesale broker. And then we have to perform very quickly. So speed is king. So in, in those instances, um, technology could be very helpful. So as you think about, um, so next five years or so, uh, and you think about what you just said about technology improvements, particularly on the on, on soft uh, ENS, which is an interesting term. I hadn't heard that before. Um, and some of these other things. What, what's, what's on the table uh, from a time savings from a percentage basis, would you say? Is it is there a 10%, 20, 50? What, what do you think we can accomplish over the next five years? So, um, I mean, if that soft DNS that, that I was mentioning, which is was just huge, um, I would say I could be on the phone with you right now, Tony, and you say, Alicia, I have an opportunity and here's what it is. And while you're talking, I'm logging into my system. I could literally quote something if it fit the box and have you a quote prepared with the terms, the conditions, a specimen copy of the, the policy in a format, however you want it with your retailer's name to where when I send it back over to you, you don't have to recreate the wheel. You don't have to put you can maybe throw your logo on there if you want to, but some of these programs are getting so sophisticated to where they allow you to, to even do that. So, I mean, how, how amazing would that be while we're, we're talking, you know, five minutes later, you can hang up the phone with me and call your client and say, I've got it done. You know, we're at $9,000 and you move on down the road. You don't bother anybody else. No more submissions are going out. But with that comes, you, a very successful agent, a very successful broker is all about knowing their product, right? So the more I know my product um, and, and and the better, the, the more versed I am in exactly what I am selling and I'm not dabbling, um, that's what's going to make you very successful. That's what's going to build the trust and the relationship with your clients. So I chose to be a specialist in, in energy and construction because I, I've been doing both for the last 24 years. If you sent me something that is out of my wheelhouse, I'm going to go spend a whole lot of wheels, a whole lot of time on something that if you had gone to a specialist that specialized in directors and officers, let's just say, for example, you're going to get the same speedy service that you would get from me because I, I know my products, my market. So I think it's twofold. Um, it's about if you sent me something, I'm not going to go quote it in that platform that it's not going to fit because I'm just wasting everybody's time. So it's as automated as we get. We still have to think. We still have to uh, know our products. We still have to be uh, on top of what's going on in the industry, what's going on in the marketplace, you know, what carriers are cutting back on capacities and what players are, are, are pulling out of certain classes of business, and, and et cetera. So I think this is interesting, and 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 I'm uh, I'm inferring from what you just said that um, that there's a couple of keys here. One is you know, and I do think that 
it's easy. Our default reaction to the future is, well, technology solves our problems. Uh, and clearly, um, technology is getting better. But you, you've really talked about something that I think is, is not discussed very often as we think about the future, and that is really a demand in terms of success, a demand to be even more skilled uh, from a personal perspective. In other words, you talked about you know, really knowing your niche. Uh, what you didn't say was that the agent on the other end of the Zoom call uh, probably in the future needs to know their niche better because they need to know how to find you, right? Okay. And technology helps us with that a little bit too, but by and large, they've still got to know, okay, if I, if I have this kind of risk, it's Alicia. If it's a different kind of risk, it's Bob at a whole different broker. Uh, and, and they've got to know the product better. And so that's interesting because, um, you know, as we, as we bring new people into the business, uh, and as we have done over the last 15 years or so, there's been a real focus on selling on price, not on uh, anything else that, uh, and so there's been a, a focus on uh, marketing, not necessarily on product knowledge. Um, so do you think that as we move into the future that product knowledge, product expertise, depth of knowledge is more important than in the past or not? I, I absolutely do. And, and the way that I look at it is, you know, when I'm choosing a, because I'm a professional, we're professionals, when I'm choosing a dentist, uh, a neurologist, or who, whoever, I, whatever, a mechanic, I'm going to choose the guy who understands what they do and they do best. I'm not going to take my car for an oil change at a brake shop. Um, and I'm not going to take, you know, my, my son to a general doctor if he needs braces, right? So, and whenever I do find that professional, I'm going to find the one who is up to date on what's going on. You know, the dentist that has the latest and greatest tools, he's, you know, he's constantly educating himself, his staff on the latest and greatest. And that's who I'm going to go to because I trust that he's not been doing the same thing for the last 20 years over and over and over again and expecting, you know, the teeth to look better, uh, to be straighter. Uh, I want to go with a dentist who's been around, that's okay, or a new one, but as long as they are as passionate about their profession as I am. So if, if Zoom or augmented rea virtual reality that I mentioned, mm -hmm. if that's a communications modality of, you know, that we're going to increasingly use in the future, and if we have to be more skilled, more knowledgeable in the, on our subject matter that we're the subject matter expert on than ever before to be successful, um, do those two things, though, do those argue that um, we've got to operate in bigger geographies so that we have a bigger prospect base for our expertise and because we have the technology to operate in a bigger uh, geography? So. First of all, do you accept that or disagree with it? I'm curious. And then secondly, um, if you agree, do you see that happening right now? So um, as far as, uh, can you explain exactly what you're asking me again? Sure. So, so what I see is that, you know, we, we're, we're on Zoom today and maybe we'll be, you know, uh, talking avatar to avatar in five years. I mean, we, the communications technology, I think we've agreed is gonna get better. 
Um, that allows us, you're in Houston, I'm in Oklahoma City, we're you know 600 miles apart, um, and we're able to have this conversation that we couldn't have in the way we're having it today, five years ago, because you didn't like Zoom. Um, and uh, five years ago, I kept asking people if they would have a Zoom conversation with me, nobody would do it. So anyway, um, but anyway, so we're on Zoom today, and we're, and, we, and we're a long way apart, but we can have a better conversation than we could, you know, before COVID, let's say. At the same time, We've just agreed that you've got to be more skilled from a product knowledge and also from a networking, you know, like who's Alicia and how do I find her? Cause this is what I need in the future. If you're a retail agent, then you've had to be in the past, right? We, we've got to get better at, at knowledge uh, and specialization. The, the problem is that in most communities, there's just a limited number of businesses in our specialty, right? Uh, and then, you know, and, and if we have to deepen our knowledge, well, we can't afford to have as many niches because our brains only have a, you know, we have a limit of time and, and, and capacity. So to me, that argues that agents have to get into bigger geographies so that they have more prospects to be able to take advantage of this unique set of knowledge that they are creating. And the technology is there for them to do that. Okay. That's right. Right. But what I, I don't see that happening right now. I see agents, you know, mindsets being I work in my hometown and this is what I do. And I don't see or or agency owners saying, you know, if we're going to operate in Houston, we've got to have an office in Houston. And so I wonder what you think about how does that mindset or business model need to evolve? given this demand for greater expertise that's coming? Sure. So uh, I think it's limiting. Uh, that, that mindset is very limiting um, because you're, you're pigeonholing yourself to, to your hometown. I mean, if you, if, if you do that, then you basically become a generalist because you're going to take anything that walks in the door because you have to write business you, in order to grow. And I think that's a, also a, uh, it's fear. Um, people, in, in my opinion, of course, is that when that's your comfort zone. So as long as you want to stay in your comfort zone, you're not going to grow. So you grow by stepping out of your comfort zone and making a decision. Uh, I may sit in Houston, but most of my business isn't in Houston. Most of my business is in Louisiana, Oklahoma, New Mexico, uh, some in Houston, but a lot of my retail partners aren't in Houston, they're elsewhere. Um, so, and, and I do get out and, and I do go visit, but, but I'm chasing my specialty. So obviously I'm not gonna be in Hawaii uh, tracking down oil and gas companies. I'm, I'm focused on where, where the need is. And I think once you identify that, no different than anything else, you know, once you identify what path you want to go down, it is going to get uncomfortable. Um, you are going to be out of your comfort zone, but you're going to grow and you're going to get better. And as long as you're collaborating with others and surrounding yourself with, with underwriters that, you know, can help educate you or just getting out to, to network events and collaborating and communicating and networking, you'll be on the right path. But no, I do. I think that I'm, I'm comfortable here. This is my hometown. That's okay if you if that's you know if you only want to be x you know x size of an agency and but if you want to grow you got to step out. Gotcha. Okay. So at um, 
at XPT, um, you guys obviously sell insurance all over the place, right? You deal with brokers all over the country. I think your home office is on the East Coast. So um, is that what your business is currently doing or, you know, uh, growing through um, using automation and communications or are you doing it uh, through local office relationships primarily? And do you see that changing inside your own company? Sure. So we're very focused on specialization. We're very focused on bringing in talent be it transportation, be it construction, and and we're bringing in talent that that's their specialty. And then once we have those on board, we collaborate and network internally so that we're spreading that love, kind of like what you were were saying about the geography. I may not have a relationship, you know, in Pennsylvania, but maybe one of my counterparts who all he does is trucking might, and there would be an introduction, and then vice versa. So that's where the collaboration comes in. And the more you collaborate and, you know, for example, I may have a great relationship with a retail agent that all they do is construction and energy, but then they may have an opportunity on a trucking deal. They may not have the expertise in house, but they have a great relationship because that's what this is. And then I make an introduction to one of our trucking specialists. I'm not going to dabble in something that I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to do you any service by dabbling. Gotcha. Well, and so I think the bottom line here is, and and we hear this a lot, which is things are changing. Uh, They're not always changing in ways we can anticipate, um, but they're also staying the same. It is about it. So it's about knowing the person who can help you, you know, and having a great network, uh, first of all, and then increasingly having really solid uh, product knowledge uh, yourself so that you can sell the product to somebody who as a consumer, whether it's personal or business, has higher expectations of you from a knowledge and expertise perspective. And hopefully technology will help us along the way. Um, Just curious, any last thoughts you might have around the current environment we're in? So, um, you know, inflation's running, uh, according to consumer price index is about 9%. The wholesale inflation rate's around 11. Both of those are just guideposts because they don't represent true inflation costs, right? I mean, it's a basket of some things. It's not a basket of other things. Uh, insurance, but what it's done to our industry, uh, and it's, and this is really increasing dramatically over the last few months, is it's reducing the supply of, of available insurance, uh, you know, and so it's getting tougher. I think to find the right coverage and find enough of it and get the limits you need. And then the prices of course are going up. So um, particularly in your industry uh, in energy, uh, I'm wondering how you see the market. Is it going to harden a lot over the next year or two? Is it going to, you know, just be kind of a, a slow growth thing? I mean, what's going to happen? Sure. Well, for, for energy, we were um, in what I would say a hard market, maybe a year and a half ago, um, two years ago, but things are starting to, on the casualties, starting to level out. Uh, capacity on the excess side is really where we, we've really hurt. Most MSAs in the energy spe- uh, sector require at least 10 million in excess limits, and most of our excess markets have cut back. So we've had to, where we used to be able to place a $10 million excess layer with one carrier, we're having to find two, three in some cases. Um, but where I'm seeing the hardening is really property, which I don't I don't do, um, but I collaborate with others that do. And I think that's the struggle. And it's not just inflation, not just the shortages in construction materials, but it's the losses that we've had. Um, like I mentioned, I, I work a lot with agents in Louisiana and they're 
they're in a lot of hurt right now. You know, uh, a TIV that was maybe 15 million you placed with one carrier, now you're placing with three. Uh, quota shares that you just would have never thought of 15, 20 years ago. So I think that's where the heart, the hardening is the most right now is property. Property and transportation, but I think transportation is is going to be that way and, and, I've, and until we have more more players in the marketplace. Well, that's not likely to be in the near term. So, uh, you know, well, this has been an interesting conversation, Alicia. I appreciate you being with me today. Um, I, I think it's interesting to see what's going on on the on the excess side of the business compared to the retail side of the business. They seem to be on parallel tracks, uh, but I, but I think that um, most retail agents are probably not aware of some of the things that are going on that that are going to change their lives as they interact with you. So I'm excited to learn that you know uh, things are getting faster, better, and cheaper from a uh, use case or from a, you know, from the transactional perspective, because it's certainly getting that way on the retail side. So thank you for being with me and uh, stay cool. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Hang on just a second. And uh, Emily, are you still there or did you just leave altogether? I don't know. Sometimes she sticks on there and says, oh, we need to do something, but she's not. So I guess this is going to work. So um, we'll get this produced in the next two to three weeks and published and send you a link. Well, appreciate it, Tony. Thank you so much for the invite. Well, you bet. Thanks for joining me. I've, I've enjoyed our visit. Likewise. All right. All right. See you later. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. I'm talking to independent agency owners about this all the time. If you'd like to have a more personalized conversation, click on the button or the link in the description and we'll make that happen. You can also reach out to me at tonycaldwell.net slash contact.